0: Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non denominational, Bible based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our Statement of Faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's dot org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.
1: I always learned in sports, it's, it's, it's good to end on a high note. You leave while you're winning, <laughs> right? All right, there was this man by the name of George Phyllis. By the way, this is actually a true story. It's not a preacher's story, but it's a true story. He was 80 years old, or is 80 years old. He's from Murrieta, Georgia. And one night, George opened his back door, and he was going to turn out the light, and he noticed that there were two burglars who were stealing things out of his shed, so he goes and he calls the police. He gets the dispatcher and the dispatcher asked him if anybody's in the house. And he said, no, no one's in the house. Well, the dispatcher said to him, sorry, but all patrols are busy. So what you should do is just lock the doors. And then when a patrol car you know, is available, they'll, they'll come and they'll check it out. And George said, okay. And he puts down the phone and then he counts to 30 very slowly very slowly, and then he picks the phone back up, and he calls the police station, and he gets to the dispatcher, and he says, hello, I'm I'm George. I'm the guy that called you a couple of minutes ago. I just, you know, I, I told you that there were two burglars, and they were taking things out of the shed. Well, I just want you to know you don't have to worry about it anymore. I shot both of them dead, and my dogs now are eating their bodies, and then he hung up. Within minutes, six police cars, a SWAT team, a helicopter, two fire trucks, an ambulance, a paramedic all showed up at the Phillips household. They caught the burglars red-handed, and then one of the policemen came up to George Phillips, and he said, I thought you shot the two burglars dead. And Phillips replied, I thought you said no one was available. (laughs) The moral of that story is don't mess with old people. And I'm an old person, so. All right, now that we got that over with. uh, This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians. And we've been talking about the mind and the importance of the mind. And so I've entitled the message this morning, The One Lie That Will Destroy You. The One Lie That Will Absolutely Destroy You. Lord, I thank you for the worship team and the worship teams that we have. What a blessing they are, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for the Holy Spirit and just the passion and enthusiasm in the house, and may that only continue to increase. And you are welcome here, Holy Spirit. As we discuss perhaps no more important message certainly than this one, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, that I would truly speak your words. Life would come forth from the word of God. And so I just thank you now what you're going to do here in the next several minutes. You drew each person here. You drew them here because you want them to experience your healing and truly your life. And so I'm just excited what you're going to do now. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Questions Questions are great because they force us to think about what we really believe, to articulate what we really believe. And uh, I have a question for you right now. What person in the Bible used probably questions more effectively than anyone else to achieve their ends? And I knew you'd say Jesus. The actual answer is Satan. In John chapter 8, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. And one of the ways that he controls our mind, we've learned, is that he plants lies in our minds. But oftentimes, he does the lies in the form of a question. Questions are just they get your attention. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, what did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? And questions are powerful. Questions are a way he plants doubt within us. And we've been looking at Satan's top 10 lies and you know, uh, took a week off, and so I just want to do kind of a review. We've looked at nine of Satan's lies, but this time I want to put them in the form of a question. So listen, here's how, what Satan would do to you and your mind. Lie number 10 of Satan, do you really believe there is a supernatural being called Satan? Lie number nine of Satan, why is, there, why is their truth any better than your truth? Lie number eight of Satan, doesn't the Bible contain errors and contradictions Lie number seven of Satan, why follow Jesus and miss out on all the fun this life has to offer? Lie number six of Satan, you only live once. Wouldn't God want you to achieve your goals, your dreams, and your desires? Lie number five of Satan, what harm can come from listening to the music you like and watching the television shows that you enjoy? God wants you to have fun, right? Lie number four of Satan, Why worry about sinning? That was just made up by some uptight old fuddy-duddies. Lie number three of Satan, how can there be a hell? How can a loving God send a person to a place like hell? Lie number two of Satan, why be part of a church, a community of believers? Aren't they all just a bunch of hypocrites? Now, if you've missed any of these messages, please just go to our website, the Bethlehem Community Church website, and just hit media, and you can either listen to the podcast or you can go to YouTube and watch it. But I'm telling you, these messages that we did on these lives are so important because this is how Satan really controls our lives. And most of us really don't know how to deal with these. So please listen to those, again, even. And, uh, uh, you know, again, I, I can't stress enough. The battle's in your mind. The battle's in my mind. You lose that battle, you lose your life. Now, this morning I want to look at lie number one. And I'm going to put it in the form of a question. The greatest lie of Satan is this. Is God really good? Is God really good? I mean, how can you tell me that God is good when he allows so much pain and suffering and justice in the world and in your life? How can you tell me? That there is a good God. And I want you to understand something. This is the granddaddy of all sins. Because see, if Satan can get you and he can get me to believe that he is not good, then he can get us to never be able to trust in God. Do you realize it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 this? It is impossible, not possible to please God without faith, without trusting him. The writer here of the book of Hebrews is telling us that, you know, you will never, ever be able to please the living God. I cannot please the living God. I will never be able to have a real relationship with him unless I can trust him, unless I can place my faith in him. And the $64,000 question is this. What does it really mean to trust in God? What does it really mean to trust, to place your faith in God? In the living God. And I'm going to let Jesus Christ give the answer to that. He defines it. In Mark chapter 10, we get a slice in the life of Jesus Christ. He has an encounter with a rich young man. And we pick it up again in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And we're told this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love Jesus' answer. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only truly God is good. Interesting point Jesus is making here. He's saying God is good and we're not. And he's really asking the rich young man, do you recognize me as God? But now watch this. So, but to answer your question, you, and the question is this. Here's really what the question the rich young man was asking is, am I good enough? Can I do enough good things to inherit eternal life? A lot of people would answer the question, yes. But Jesus says, all right, I'm going to give you a little test. Here we go. You know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely, meaning you must not lie. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And I love this. Teacher, the man replied. And he does this with a straight face. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Can you say delusional? I mean, no, really, this guy honestly thought he was good. In fact, he made his application to enter the Trinity to become the fourth person of the Trinity, the Quadrinity. No, this, this guy's really thinking he's good. So I love, but Jesus is smart. He sets this guy up, and he says this. Looking at the man, verse 21, Jesus felt genuine love for him. You know, that's good news for us. You know, if there's hope for that delusional man, there's hope for us. Jesus loves this guy, even in his delusion. Now watch this. He sets him up. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions, Jesus looked around him and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich man, the rich person, to enter the kingdom of heaven. As I said, Jesus set this man up. See, the first part of the test, was he gave him the second half of the Decalogue, the second half of the Ten Commandments, which deals with people. Love people. But he left off the first half of the Decalogue. And the first half of the Decalogue, if you can't remember, it's found in Exodus chapter 20. And it says this, Skip, can you put it up? I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now why? Here we go. Here are the first four commandments. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, any image, anything in the heavens or on the earth... Or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children to the third and fourth generation to reject me. But I have lavish and unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. The Lord will not... Let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So the first half of the Decalogue can be summed up. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your strength, and all of your soul. And he fails here, the rich man, doesn't he? Because what is he really trusting in? What does he really love? He really is trusting in. He really loves his money. That is what he is leaning on, his money. How about you? What are you trusting in? You know, so many people... And I do a lot of evangelism. We go out and do the Jesus Soda survey and just talk to a lot, a lot of people about Jesus. They go, oh, yeah, I have faith. I'm trusting in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe, you know, that that he resurrected from the dead. And I believe that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And they think that that's really what Jesus is talking about. But you see, Jesus is talking about something so much deeper than an intellectual assent to some facts. You know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about full surrender. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9 and verses 23 and 24. Skip, can you put them up? He says, if you want to be my disciple. In other words, if you really believe in me is what he's saying. Now watch Jesus. He says, you must deny yourself. And if you can't figure that out, he says, take up your cross daily. In other words, I need to die daily to my dreams, my goals, and my desires. And then he says, if you can't figure that out, whoever seeks to save his life, in other words, to live life their way selfishly, you're going to lose it, ultimately spending eternity in hell. But whoever gives their life up for my sake shall find True life. Now, do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, Look, listen to me now. If you really trust me for eternity, if you're trusting your soul for me for eternity, the proof will be you'll trust me with your temporal life. I want to say that again. So many people come running up, I believe, I believe, I believe, and they say the sinner's prayer. I can't tell you how many people do. I used to work with Billy Graham Crusade. You can't find them a week later. They're nowhere to be found. No, it's, it's really tragic. Jesus is saying, if, don't tell me, Jesus is saying, you're trusting me with your, etern- your soul for eternity, and you can't trust me with your temporal life. Not going to happen. Not true. You're deluding yourself. Jesus is saying, if you really trust me, then have you come to a point in your life that you said, Lord, here's my life. I realize you've given me all the money that I have. You know, we, we get into this battle about money. And, you know, is a person rich or poor? It just doesn't matter. You know what the question is? Do you recognize the money you have as Jesus's? That's right. See, that's the issue. We miss it entirely. Every cent you have, you have to give an accounting for. So are you using it for yourself or are you using it for his kingdom? See, that's the issue. How about time? See, Lord, here's my time. You've given me all the time that I have. I want to use it the way you want me to use it. Lord, what job do you want me to have? What profession do you want me to be? What people do you want me to impact? You're at your job because you are the pastor of your job. I can go on and on. Have you ever just come to the point and said, Lord, I I trust you not only for eternity, but I'm trusting you with my life and you know the only way you can trust Jesus with your life is if you truly believe he's good it's the only way that you can do it and I'm going to ask you right now do you believe that God is good (laughs) yeah Jesus I I believe (laughs) guys that has all the enthusiasm of an amoeba in heat let's try it again I'm going to ask you again do you believe that God is good All right, that's a lot better. So you can sing the song, God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, he is good to me. Don't you even feel better after just singing that? Because see, that's truth. Now James, the half-brother of Jesus... He wrote these powerful words in James chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. He said, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now catch James's logic here. Watch this. James tells us anything good comes from God. If it's not from God, then it's not good. If something isn't good, then it didn't come. From God. It does not matter how good it looks. It does not matter how good it feels. It does not matter how good it tastes. If it didn't come from God, then it's not good. You're getting it. For example, broccoli did not come from God. But chocolate did. There will not be broccoli in heaven. Adam and Eve did not eat broccoli in the garden. Broccoli came after the fall. It was part of the curse. There, of course, will be broccoli in hell. Heaven, on the other hand, will be full of chocolate. Now, of course, you're going, that's really silly, Pastor. But let me tell you, there is a great spiritual lesson here. Goodness is not determined by my experience, but by its source. Goodness is not determined by your experience, but by its source. You see, I had a bad experience with broccoli when I was young, but that did not determine whether broccoli was good. Or bad Goodness, you see, is determined by its source, not by Frank Ray's experience. You see, chocolate to me tastes good. In fact, chocolate makes me feel good. In fact, chocolate makes me happy. But you know what? Chocolate, for the most part, isn't good for me. You see, experience cannot be the standard of goodness. Experience simply cannot be the standard of goodness. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. And you say, well, what is the elephant in the room? The elephant in the room is this, is God truly good? See, that's the real elephant in the room. In fact, time and time again, I am challenged by this as I witness to various people in all walks of life. They really challenge whether God is good. In fact, just yesterday I was challenged with that question. This young girl, maybe 21, 22 years of age said, how can you tell me God is good when you look at all of the evil that's occurring in the world. Some people say, how can you tell me that God is good when he allows Islamic terrorists to commandeer planes, sending them into buildings and thousands of people, innocent people are killed. How can you tell me that God is good when he allows a 10-year-old boy to have cancer that's terminal? How can you tell me that God is good? Well, I believe that Jesus can answer that question. In Luke chapter 13, we're given a very interesting slice in the life of Jesus Christ. We're told this in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 1. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and you turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you too will perish. You know, I find Jesus' answers here nothing less than stunning to these questions. I mean, this guy, they teed up for him to answer the question of theodicy. You know what theodicy is? Theodicy is the answer to the question, why does God allow suffering and evil in this world? And Jesus has a prime prime, you know, opportunity here to answer that most perplexing question. But it's almost as if Jesus is saying, "Haven't you read Genesis 3?" Did you not read that you, Adam and Eve, and you were in Adam and Eve, you were in their loins, and they, they literally turned the title deed of the earth over to Satan. Who do you think's running this world right now? Satan is the God of this world. Why do you think there is so much evil, so much hate, so much lying, so much anger, so much bitterness? Why do you think that? Because you've got a mad man. You've got a mad being. A malevolent being, Satan, and his minions running around. On top of that, you have human beings now who are fallen, who are selfish, who are making very selfish choices. And by the way, your choices do not occur in a vacuum. They affect other people. And so Jesus, instead, he turns the table and he says, you know what? Forget that question. Here's, I got a question for you. Here's the question of life. Do you know what the question of life is? Here it is. Are you Ready to die now. Are you ready to die right now? See, the rich man made the mistake, remember? in Luke, he decides he's going to build all of these barns and he's going to store up all of this stuff so he can you know, eat, drink, and be merry. And what does God say to that rich man? You fool. That's not a good thing for God to say to you. You fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. My mom's on her deathbed right now. But you know what? I could die before her right now. See, that's the funny thing. I could die right now. You could die right now. And are you ready to meet him? And the only way you can answer yes is if you've come to the point in your life where you've truly repented of your selfishness and your sins and doing things your way and turn to jesus christ and are trusting in him not only for forgiveness of your sins but with your life see then you're ready to die and it won't be hey it'll be a great eternity for you it'll be a great eternity for me but you'll be ready to die you know there was uh this preacher <laughs> and anytime you told him anything negative he's he would say well you know it could be worse it could be worse and was a man in the congregation he finally just got tired of that and he was you know he he, he figured he was gonna you know stop the pastor from doing this and so one Sunday after service uh, the man pulled the pastor aside and he said pastor I had a dream one night and I dreamt that I died and the preacher said well it could have been worse and the man said well you don't understand in my dream I not only dreamt that I died but that I went to hell and The pastor said, well, it could have been worse. And the man thought, now he had the pastor. He said, preacher, what could be worse than dreaming that you died and you went to hell? And the pastor said, it could have been true. (laughs) Some of you might need to think about that. It could have been true. And uh, the truth is, the good God, the good God of the universe will allow pain in your life. He will allow suffering in your life. He will allow difficult things in my life. Trials and tribulations. So you know what? Just like the prodigal son. He allowed those things in the prodigal son's life. You know why? So that he would come to his senses. And he would come back and turn to him. And find life and healing. And find life and healing. You know the greatest problem perhaps we have is. We think that we are the standard for determining what's good and evil. I would say maybe that's the greatest problem that we have. We think that we're the standard for determining what's good and what is bad. And that's just not true. God is the one who determines what is good and what is bad. And... uh, no story illustrates this more, by the way, than in Genesis chapter 37, you're introduced to a man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob, who's the father, of course, of Israel, he had 12 sons, and Joseph was his favorite. And That made his brothers envious. And if you've read the story, and most of us have read the story, then you find out that because, you know, the brothers envied him, they threw him in a pit and they left him for dead. But, you know, God wasn't finished with Joseph. And we're told some Midianites dug him out of the pit. They brought him to Egypt and they sold him as a slave to Egypt. In Egypt, and he found himself in the house of Potiphar, and he worked his way up. Joseph distinguished himself and he became the kind of the manager of Potiphar's household. Only one problem. Potiphar's wife had the hots for him. That's a problem. And Joseph rebuffs her. That's not good to jilt a woman. And guess what happens to him? Guess what happens to him because he has integrity and character? He finds himself rotting and languishing in prison. Now, most of us, if we were honest, would say, well, that's horrible. That's really bad what happened to Joseph. I mean, this guy does everything right in his life. And he finds himself rotting in prison in Egypt. And then the story, as Paul Harvey would say, takes an interesting turn. And here's the rest of the story. Through a, you know, series of events that only God could have orchestrated, Joseph finds himself the second most powerful man in Egypt. And you know what's fascinating? There was a famine in Israel. And guess what happens? Joseph's 11 brothers come tooling on down to Egypt, and they suddenly find themselves standing before Joseph. And soon they realize it's Joseph, and they begin to tremble. Skip, put up the picture. And these guys are fearing for their lives. Can you just see this image in your mind's eye? And Joseph makes a stunning statement in Genesis in chapter 45 and verse 5. Skip, put it up. But don't be upset. So here's Joseph speaking to his brothers who are living in fear. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. And then he says this in Genesis 50. Skip, can you put it up? You intended to harm me, he says to his brothers. But watch this. God intended it all for all for. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What an incredible, incredible story. Now, that, my friend, is faith. That is belief in the goodness of God. And here's the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is the good God of the universe knows what he's doing. He can see the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what he is doing in your life, in my life. And if I will surrender, if I will trust him and say, here's my life, Jesus, he will not only create good in me, he will do good through me. And he will do that with you. And see, the question is this morning is do I really believe that? Have I come to the point in my life where I've honestly, totally surrendered my life to God and I say, I believe in your goodness? I know that you can see from beginning to end. I can't see that. And I'm going to completely trust you with my life because you're a good God and I know you're going to do good in me and you're going to do good through me, just like Joseph. Now, here's the challenge. We all know Romans eight twenty eight. Skip, can you put it up? I don't know if you got that up there or not. Anybody know Romans eight twenty eight? All right, not in tongues. All right, come on. anybody, say it loud and proud. Okay, okay. All right. All right. All right. For God causes some things. For God causes, and what does all mean? All means all, all of the time, and that's all all will ever mean. So for God causes, let's read it together. We know that God causes, come on, everything to work together for the good. Love God and are called according to his purpose for. I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I do not know what's happening in your life right now. But I want you to know, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to him, then what's ever going on is for good. It may may be painful. I'm not taking that away from you at all. It may hurt. You may be facing the trial of your life right now, and God bless you, and you need brothers and sisters to support you. But I want you to know, if you've truly placed your faith and trust in Jesus, have surrendered your life to him, He's creating good in you, and he's creating good through you. And I'd like to end this morning with this true story. The date is June of 1980. Now, on that day, there was a Christian man, and he was delayed at JFK Airport. It kept him from catching his plane in Chicago, O'Hare Airport. His connecting flight was Flight One. 91, and on that day, flight 191 crashed, and all 254 people aboard died. On that same day, Pastor Edward Elliot, who pastored a church in Los Angeles, California, his plane was late in arriving to Chicago O'Hare Airport. There was a friend who accompanied him to Chicago, and the friend said this. He said he last saw Pastor Elliot dashing forward in the terminal to make his connection. That connection he needed to make was Flight 191. He made that connection, and he was one of the 254 people that died. At his funeral, Pastor Elliot's wife said something absolutely stunning. Please listen to her statement. Was Divine Providence operating only in New York on that day? but not in Chicago. What my husband didn't know is that on that day, he was running to heaven. And they said, you could have heard a pin drop. Now see, that's faith. That's trust in the goodness of God. Can you say that my God is good and he's good all the time? Can you? Can you say it right now? My God is good and he's good all of the time. And let me tell you, if you truly believe that, Satan will have very little access to your life. Very little access to your life. Father, I just pray. That we'll take this message to heart. I too. There's so much writing on this. All that. Even now, Holy Spirit, you would be moving, moving in our hearts. I ask that you would protect our minds and we would begin right now as we walk out here. God, you are good. I believe you are good. I believe that you have, you're so good that you're working out your good purposes, not only to advance the kingdom of God, but you're working out your good purposes in and through me. I pray right now, every single person can say that. There's such healing and there's such victory in that. I pray that Satan would be even bound at this moment. And that you, Holy Spirit, would be completely loose now, setting people free from the tremendous bondage that they've been in and the tremendous darkness because they haven't been able to trust you completely and totally. I pray that this is now, this moment, this time, it will occur. And I'm asking for this in your precious name. Amen.